Pray with me. Abba, Father, we thank you. We can come into your presence and worship you and uh, receive new life from you and your son. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for uh, the life we have in you. We ask your blessing on this uh, time of worship, this time of hearing your word. We ask you, please, uh, send your spirit upon us, uh, upon me, into our hearts and into our minds. Uh, prepare us for hearing your gospel and your message. And change us, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name and through your Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's good to be back from the dead. I was uh, in, <laughs> missing last week along with Caleb as we both were recovering from the flu. And uh, thank you for everyone who helped cover for us. So this morning, uh, let us begin. The Netflix show The Crown has taken the internet in America by storm. It's an immensely popular retelling of the reign of Queen Elizabeth II, the longest reigning queen of England. It may seem strange that it's so popular in America, but there's something in it that I think captures our imagination. See, I believe it encapsulates our desire for stability and something beyond ourselves, what we might call transcendence. So the, the queen in, in this story is, is, is more than an individual. She is more than just a person. She is a symbol of something greater than herself, of the, mon of the monarchy. And because she is the queen, Elizabeth knows who she is, and what she's supposed to do. And I think that gives us comfort because so many of us struggle with exactly that, who we are and what we're supposed to do. You know, I think we, we watch shows like The Crown or, or movies like The Avenger because in them there is truly good and evil and, and right and wrong and stability and transcendence, but there's a contradiction in us in our enjoyment of these shows because while we, we want stability and transcendence, we say, we, we we actually think that it comes from ourselves. We think that our own inner life is where we will find stability and transcendence. We think that we can be our own king, our own source of meaning. And this was confirmed to me this, uh, in a, a movie I watched this week, uh, a Disney film called Moana. And perhaps you've seen it. And the, the singing and the music and the whole storyline preaches this gospel quite loud and clear. Be your own guide, your own center of truth, your own king. Now, I propose to you today that Moana is wrong. You are not created to be your own king, the own, your king of your own soul. You are created to be in fellowship with the true source of transcendence and stability, Jesus, the true king. And in our gospel today, we are confronted with the true king and his kingdom rule. But when we meet Jesus, we meet someone who truly and deeply knows us, loves us, and wants us to join his, king, his way of life, his kingdom. But that means we have to let go of our own kingdoms, let go of our own thrones. And so with this in mind, we are going to explore who Jesus the king is, what his kingdom is like, and Jesus' call that we repent and believe the gospel. So when we think about kings and kingdoms, we most likely think of long lines of royalty, wealth, and power. But in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus simply arrives on the scene and proclaims that the kingdom of God is here. He doesn't really look like a king, though. Not at least the king you would expect. So how can he be? What we see in Scripture is that the kingship of Christ, the kingship of Jesus, is both greater than any other ruler in the world and more humble and mundane than any ruler. 
It is greater because he is the son of God. When Jesus is baptized in Mark 1, 9 through 11, he is inaugurated and proclaimed as God the Father's beloved son, with whom I am well pleased, says the Father. Jesus is the eternal son of God, eternally begotten from the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, as we confess in our creed. Paul describes him in Colossians 1, 16 through 17 this way. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is without a doubt the true and rightful king of the world because he is the creator and sustainer of it. Who else then would you expect to proclaim the kingdom of God but God himself? But he's also the most humble and least suspecting person. As the son of God became a human being born from a poor virgin woman in a small town in Israel, an occupied and oppressed country. He grew up as the son of a carpenter. He humbled himself. And the fact that the son of God came as a humble king should give us hope that his kingdom, his rule will be different. It won't be like the prideful kingdoms and empires that use power and authority to suppress and control people. Jesus as king is truly good news. So Jesus is the humble king. What, we should ask, does his kingship look like? Now Jesus' kingship was long and expected and eagerly desired. From Genesis all the way to John the Baptist, the law and the prophets foretold and spoke of the coming king. Consider Isaiah 52, 6 through 7. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who publish peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Jesus is the one who proclaims the God, that God reigns. Jesus is the messenger who brings good news. And he is the good news itself. He is salvation itself. And the one who reigns is God and king. And here is a description of what his rule and reign will look like in Isaiah 61.1. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound. Jesus came to bring healing, liberty, and freedom from the slavery of sin and death. His coming as king and his kingship is good news for us. But here it's worth pausing to reflect on how Jesus' king brings freedom. Because at first glance, it might seem like that's the exact opposite. Because if Jesus is the king, that means that I can't be, that you can't be. Because there can only be one king in our lives. I think Bob Dylan said, you can only, you gotta serve somebody, so choose. And perhaps we could also think of the, the TV show, The Office. 
Um, have anybody seen The Office? Michael Scott and Jen Halpert. Well, Michael Scott is the, the manager of, of Dunder Mifflin, and, and at one point in the story, he, he and Jen Halpert become co-managers. Two people, the same level, doing basically the same job. And if you know anything about leadership, you know this wouldn't work very well. And well, it doesn't. You can only have one manager, one leader, and one king. So if Jesus has come as king, we can't be king as well. Doesn't that mean we won't be free? If Jesus is king, doesn't freedom only come if I'm the king? To understand this, we have to recognize that, that what we think is freedom is actually slavery to the dominion of sin, death, and evil. Now this requires us to believe something. It requires that we believe that there really are powers of evil and sin, the domin that dominion of sin has control over us. Now in the scriptures, there's, there's two, two realities we're working with here. There's, there's sin, big S, and sin, small s. Sins are the things we do. Sins are the, the, the breaking of God's law. Sins are the, the hurting one another. But sin is a dominion in scripture. Sin is, is a power. It, it, it overwhelms and rules us. It's a form of slavery. I think anybody who struggled with addiction can understand this. I just can't help but sin. And Jesus says it this way in John 8, 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. We might feel like we have that ability to choose not to sin, but in practicing sin, we are slaves to sin. And here's the crazy thing. The evil one is so deceptive that he entices us to think of our slavery to sin as a vast and splendid kingdom. We are like the different adults in the story, the little prince. So in one part of this story, the prince travels from one strange, lonely planet to another, visiting the very important and busy individuals who own each one. On one planet, the little prince meets a king who was so full of himself that he thought he ruled everyone. He was the only one on the planet. <laughs> on another planet, he meets a man who thought he was very busy and very important, counting all the other planets, imagining that he owned every planet he counted. But he didn't own any of them. Both of them thought they were rich, important, and powerful, but they were self-deceived. They thought they had a kingdom, but they had nothing. Many of us, if we take an honest look at ourselves, have places in our lives that we think we own that God shouldn't or must not touch. It's probably as simple as thinking that your plan for getting dinner on the table is the best plan. Maybe it's that feeling that you have the right that right to dictate your use of time and your schedule. The truth is, we are terribly self-deceived, lonely kings. We need the true king to free us from the slavery of sin and self-rule. I once knew a man who was, who was going through a terribly difficult stage of life. He was at the end of his rope. And as we were talking, he told me that most of his life he'd, he'd trusted God, that God would take care of him in the end, you know, get him to heaven when he died, but, but he said that God expected him to take, care of, take charge and be in control of his family, his life, and his business. God took care of me then, but I'm, I'm in control now. Through this struggle, I believe that God was asking him to let go of his kingship and self-rule, and he, he sensed that. But it was terribly difficult, in fact, too difficult for him. He continued to live as if he had control 
of his life. That is not what we're supposed to do. King Jesus wants us to let go of our kingships, our illusion of ruling, and trust him so that we can have true freedom, freedom from the slavery of sin. Jesus comes in humility and power to show us what the true king is like and to free us from our slavery. So we've caught a glimpse of the king and his mission. What is this kingdom that he is proclaiming? Now, if we were to jump ahead in Mark, the gospel of Mark, we would see that the kingdom of God is what Jesus is and does, simply. It is the healing of sickness and freeing from sin. It is the place where the truth and love of God is proclaimed. It is where evil is judged and true justice reigns. In short, it is where the will of God is done. The kingdom of God is like the moment in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe as Aslan comes into Narnia. The cold, dark winter of the white witch is driven away, and the bright and glorious spring rushes over all the land. Where the king is, the kingdom comes. The kingdom of God is where God's will is done, but in a world under the dominion of sin and evil, how does Jesus dethrone sin and its dominion and take his rightful place as king? Jesus is king and brings the kingdom of God, but unlike any other king, the final act of his enthronement is not a coronation at the palace in Jerusalem. There are no fancy robes, no diamonds and jewels, no laud and honor, no. Jesus' coronation is accompanied by the accoutrements of death, nakedness, pain, blood, and a crown of thorns. This king is like no other king. He is the humble king who destroys the power of sin, death, and the devil, not by force of arms, but by his own sacrificial death on the cross. Jesus establishes his kingdom by dying for this world ruled by sin. He topples the power of death by rising again from the dead. And as Paul says, Romans 6, 23, Jesus takes away the wages that sin pays all his slaves, that wage of death, and he gives all who believe in him the treasure of the kingdom of God, eternal life in Jesus Christ. This gift, this revelation of God's rule and reign in Jesus does not leave room for the apathetic choice. Are you with the empire or the rebellion? Are you with Lord Voldemort or Harry Potter? Are you with the white witch or Aslan? Jesus does not mince words. The long-awaited revolution has begun. Get on board. The flood of redemption is coming, and it will sweep everything away that is not in the ark of King Jesus and his kingdom. So, how do we get on board? Jesus tells us, we repent and believe in the gospel. Now, I'm sure many of us have a good sense of what repentance means, a change of mind, a turning from one thing to another. But if we're honest, and I'm sure I, I know I've done this, it's very easy to fall into this very small idea of repentance, merely saying that we're sorry for sinning and half-heartedly promise that we'll never do it again, all the while kind of knowing that we probably will. 
Repentance is much more than that. I suggest to you that there are, there are two layers of repentance that we often and easily miss. The first is that repentance is the complete reorientation of our life from the kingdom of slavery we lived in or the little kingdoms that we still hold on to, even as Christians, to the king and kingdom of God. This means that everything in life that is not of God or distracts us from God must be put in its proper place. This means even the good things can become idols in our lives. Family, friends, work, hobbies, leisure. All of these things have to be put under the dominion and rule of, of Christ our King, or they become idols. I mean, look at the disciples in our passage today. When they were confronted by Jesus and called to follow him, they left everything without a second glance to follow the king and his kingdom. Though we might, all be, might not all be called to leave our jobs to follow Jesus, the inner heart reality should be the same. Jesus comes first, and he will take care of everything else. And Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. To repent, then, is to abandon our lives to the good God we worship. And Paul says it this way in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. How do we do it? How do we abandon our lives to God day by day? I would suggest that it begins by asking God to help us realize we are not in control. That our life is not our own. And then we ask for the strength to surrender our will and desires to God for his good purpose. Turning our life to God, over to God, this is the first kind of repentance. The second kind of repentance does involve turning from specific areas of sins and addiction and vice. Look at the city of Nineveh. When they heard of this coming judgment from the, for their great wickedness, they eagerly repented as a whole city. You heard it. It was three days walk through the whole city. As a whole community, they threw themselves at the feet of Almighty God, and he forgave and relented. Thus, repentance has two shades of meaning. Turning away from things that distract us from God and his kingdom, and turning from what things that are sinful. And my friends, when we truly and daily turn to God, surrendering our life to him, we discover that Jesus is more glorious and worth knowing than anything we could ever ask or imagine. So when the king and his kingdom arrive, we repent and we believe. Now, what does it mean to believe? J.I. Packer, the Anglican theologian, is helpful here. He notes that in the Greek, the phrase, I believe in God, as we say in the creed, is better translated, I am believing into God. That is to say, over and above believing certain truths about God, I am living in a relation of commitment to God and trust and union. I am professing my conviction that God has invited me to this commitment and declaring that I have accepted his invitation. Repenting and believing go together because you aren't just giving your life over to some impersonal force or fate. You're giving your life to God the Father, his Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, our triune God. Again, Packer says it well, I show faith in God by bowing to his claim to rule and manage me. By receiving Jesus Christ, his Son, as my Lord and Savior, 
and by relying on his promise to bless me here and hereafter. Repenting and believing in Jesus is very much a marriage covenant. You forsake all else for your beloved and you join your life to them. You're saying no to all other men and women and saying yes to your spouse. And you put your trust, love, and commitment in them. My friends, Jesus gave us everything, his very life to be joined to you in an eternal and loving marriage. What else is there but to repent, believe, and live as loved disciples who grow in knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, and loving others through him? Today we have witnessed in scripture the coming of the king and his kingdom. We've seen who the king is and what his kingdom is like, and we've heard his call to repent and believe the gospel. What is Jesus, where is Jesus meeting you today? Is your life in chaos, sir? Do you feel out of control? Hear that Jesus truly is king. He loves you, and he has not abandoned you. Fall on him in faith. Are you lonely? Do you feel useless? The king and his kingdom are with you and in you. He calls you to join him and his kingdom by simple acts of love and prayers for others and mending broken relationships. These are the signs of the kingdom of God's arrival in our lives. Do you need to let go of your kingdom and your self-rule? The good and humble king is here to give you his life and love and to free you from slavery to sin. You can let go and trust him. Do you wanna grow in your love and knowledge of Jesus? Seek Jesus in prayer, study, worship, and holy conversation with fellow Christians. Your beloved savior desires to be known more and more by you, even as you are fully known. The humble king and his glorious kingdom are at hand. Let us all repent, believe, and follow Jesus the king. I say this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.